Second Peter 3, the third and fourth verses, where we read as follows. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. I think it's quite evident, beloved, that with this third chapter, you also have a new section of this second epistle of Peter. And the subject in this new section is the scoffers of the last days and the calling of the saints with relation to these scoffers and over against these scoffers and their scoffing and in distinction from them. As far as the connection is concerned, I think, first of all, the connection with chapter 1 is rather plain. The apostle had written of the certainty of the prophetic word, you will recall. The word concerning the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, in chapter 3, he warns against those who scoff at the promise of his coming. That is, scoff at that prophetic word concerning the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also a connection with chapter 2. Sometimes that's been denied, and it's claimed that in these two chapters, you have two unrelated subjects, false teachers and scoffers. On the surface of it, I think that's already not very likely because there's a close connection between false teachers and scoffers. But it's very plain, too, that in the first place, they are the same kind of people, principally. In our text this afternoon, it speaks of these scoffers as walking after their own lusts. But the apostle speaks of the same thing in connection with the false teachers. In chapter 2, uh, speaks, for example, in verse 2 of the pernicious ways of these false teachers. In verse 10, he speaks of those who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And in verse 12, he speaks of uh, those who shall utterly perish in their own corruption and who speak evil of the things that they understand not. And in verse 18, he speaks of 
the uh, false teachers alluring men through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. And in verse 3 of our text, he speaks of those also who walk after their own lusts. So it's very plain that they are alike spiritually, the scoffers and the false teachers. Besides, false teachers are exactly guilty of falsifying the promise, principally the promise of his coming, of which our text speaks, and against which these scoffers scoff. False teaching, in other words, always ends in open scoffing at the promise of his coming. And it teaches men to scoff at that promise and to walk after their own lusts. That reminds us of the, an important, practically important, fact about the Christian life, and that is this, that there is uh, a close connection, an inseparable connection between a life of sanctification and the hope of Christ's coming. The Bible speaks about that rather often. And the relation is this, on the one hand, a walk in sanctification, the Christian walk of life, stimulates in the child of God the hope of his coming, a life in sin. Let me rather put it this way. A person who lives a life in sin does not want Christ to come. He does not want the end to come. For the simple reason that he knows very well that the end of all things and Christ's coming means for him judgment condemnation he doesn't want to think of that on the other hand the hope of his coming stimulates a life of sanctification a holy life it spurs us on to prepare for his coming and the lack of that hope, the absence of that hope, has the effect that one seeks the things of the world and of this present time. He has no other hope than this present world. The apostle has a practical purpose in writing here. 
He says that he writes to the saints, to the beloved, to stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. They have a pure mind, a regenerated, a holy mind that knows the truth and is uh, receptive for the truth. And that regenerated mind, precisely because as long as we are in this life, you know, we have only a small beginning of the new obedience. We only have a principle, a seed of regeneration. That regenerated mind, that pure mind, must be stirred up. It must be aroused to remembrance. It has to be reminded we know the truth. From that point of view, we don't have to be instructed in it, but we need to be reminded and aroused. And in that connection, we have to be reminded of the commandment of the apostles, the same commandment that was spoken already by the holy prophets. By that commandment, Apostle does not mean that there is another law that is imposed on the people of God, but he refers to the gospel, the promise of his coming, especially as that gospel pertains to the walk, the life of the people of God, their life in the midst of the world. Their life in the midst of the temptations of this present time. And he views that as a command to the people of God to stand fast in this present world as before the face of God and to live and to reveal themselves as being of the party of the living God. That's the purpose. Hence, he says, knowing this first. I call your attention to the rise of the scoffers in the last days. Let's notice in the first place those scoffers. In the second place, their rise. And in the third place, our knowledge of them. Our text speaks of scoffers, mockers. Literally, it speaks of those who are scoffers in scoffing. The practiced scoffers. They come openly and unashamedly mocking. Mockery is the very uh, sphere of their existence. They're at home in it. They mock. They trifle with and make light of and make sport with the promise of Christ's coming. That's the second element. 
They scoff at that promise. They trifle with it. They make light of a most serious matter. That which is most precious to the people of God. That which belongs to their hope as pilgrims and strangers here in the earth. And notice that the apostle literally quotes their scoffing. There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, notice, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And they add to that a reason, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So the object of their mockery is the promise. The promise, beloved, is always fundamentally the same in Scripture. The promise of God. And that promise you may, be, you may define as follows. It is the oath of God to lead his beloved elect infallibly to eternal glory through faith. The oath of God to lead his beloved elect infallibly to eternal glory through faith. That's God's promise. Fundamentally. Notice that promise is God's. It's not exactly pertinent in my text this afternoon, but let me emphasize it anyway. That's precisely the difference between a promise and an offer. An offer is always dependent on two parties. The one who makes the offer, and ultimately, of course, it's dependent on the one who accepts the offer. If the offer isn't accepted, it's vain. A promise is dependent on only one, the one who makes the promise, and that's God. That's why the promise of God is absolutely certain, always. Absolutely sure of fulfillment. Here, that promise of the gospel is looked at from the point of view of its being the promise of his coming. In other words, that expression looks at the promise from the point of view of its final fulfillment, its end the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it does that because that coming implies, in the first place, the final judgment and condemnation of all sin and of all ungodly men and of 
the world of sin and death. And on the other hand, it implies the final justification and glory and joy of the saints in the perfect tabernacle of God in the new creation in which righteousness shall dwell. That is the promise of his coming. That's the hope of the child of God, you see. He's a pilgrim. The child of God is a pilgrim. He has no continuing place in this world. That's why the child of God also should never uh, attempt to strike his roots deep into this present world and into this present life. He's a pilgrim. He's traveling through the world. Traveling through this present time. And he has a goal. That goal is the eternal city. The city that has foundations. That goal is going to be realized at the final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope. The hope of the child of God. And against that promise that is the hope of the child of God, these scoffers scoff. They mock. And they phrase their mocking in emphatic form. Question form. Question there in our text, where is the promise of his coming? The question there, you understand, is not a question for information. They're not asking people for information. Where is the promise of his coming? That's not the point at all. It's a rhetorical question. The question that has an argument in it. Where is the promise of his coming? See, it isn't there. It isn't there. It doesn't mean anything. There isn't any such thing. And that's plain from the rest of the text because they add the reason for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. That's the object of their mockery. Where can we see that the promise is being realized? There's no indication of it at all, they say. And so they flatly deny that promise and they claim that it is foolish and that it is foolish to believe in that coming, that all that stuff about the coming of the Lord on the clouds of heaven, personally and visibly and with great power and glory, that that's all nonsense. That's the argument of these scoffers. There is no coming glory for anyone. And even 
Remember, that's implied. Even as there is no coming glory for anyone, there is no coming destruction and judgment for anyone either. That's all nonsense. It's all a cunningly devised fable. We mustn't believe all that nonsense. And they have a reason. They have an argument. Notice. They don't just say things. They try to make a case for their position. Since the fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. We're not just talking about the fathers of that generation, but the fathers going way back, all through the old dispensation too. And they say, all things remain as from the beginning of the creation. There isn't any change. There's no indication of any change whatsoever. They fell asleep again and again in the hope of the promise. They never saw the realization of the promise. Everything stays the same. There's no change. We don't see the realization of the promise today any more than they did hundreds of years ago. It's all foolishness. That's their argument. There's another side to this. Notice that in verse 3, these scoffers are described as walking after their own lusts. That's the practical side of it. The two go hand in hand, you see. Scoffing at the promise of his coming and walking after their own lusts. Those two go hand in hand. Walking after their own lusts is the practical result. I think in general, the meaning of that expression is quite clear. Their own carnal lusts in which they delight are referred to here. Not just uh, lusts in the narrower sense of the term. Lusts of sexual immorality and uncleanness, that too. And when you look around us at the world of today, it seems very evident that the world is characterized precisely by that, by all kinds of sexual lusts. The expression in our text is broader than that. It includes all of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the scoffers who walk after their own lusts are characterized by the fact and they always mocked at the promise too. They scoffed at it. They always scoffed, and of course, ultimately, that meant too that they always scoffed at the promise of his coming, because that was included. But now, that scoffing at the promise of his coming is much 
more emphatic and much more direct. Now they stand face to face with that coming. That's next. That's all that is left to mark. So they scoff, huh? Where's the promise of his coming? Everything continues on. Notice, beloved, that is Scripture's evaluation of the world in which you and I have to live. You mustn't modify that a little bit. You mustn't say to yourself, well, it isn't really so bad yet. You mustn't say, well, maybe there's, maybe there's even some good left yet in the world because of common grace. Or must you take the attitude, well, what the apostle says here, well, that's true of godless Russia and godless China and of communism, but that's not true for our country, whether that's Australia or the U.S. They're religious, after all. There's still, there's still a great revival coming. Let's have a crusade, bring about a revival. No, no, you make false the word of God then. The word of God says, they shall come. And if they don't come, then the word of God lies. And that's impossible. The word of God does not lie. What we must do is not look at this word of God in the light of what we see and think that we may see in the world round about us, but we have to look at the world round about us, the world of our everyday walk and life, in the light of that word of God. Then open your eyes and open your ears and you'll see. It's true in every respect. They scoff. Oh yes, there's, there's the open scoffing of atheism and of, of unbelief, but also and especially religious and philosophical scoffing. That's the worst kind, you know. The kind of which the apostle speaks. You find it in the modern church. And you find it in modern Christendom. And you find it in the modern Christian nation. You find it in circles where they even still use biblical terminology. They may even speak of Christ's kingdom. In fact, 
They may even speak of Christ's coming. And they may have the Bible in their pulpits. But if you insist that according to Scripture, Christ is coming. Christ is coming personally, visibly, in the power of God to judge and to destroy the wicked and to take his own to heaven. He's called. Where is the promise of his coming? Can't see anything of it. Practically, <coughs> they walk after their own lusts. If there's any expression, beloved, that is accurately descriptive of the world in which you and I live, it's that expression. In every sphere of life, they walk after their own lusts. The world is full of it. You mustn't imagine that the world isn't so bad. Remember, these two go together. The scoffing and the walking after their own lusts. If we walk in those same lusts, then in a practical sort of way, we're really scoffing too. Otherwise we wouldn't walk on those lusts. Now notice what the apostle says. Knowing this first. When he talks about knowing and about knowledge here. He's not just talking about head knowledge. But he's talking about the living and spiritual knowledge and understanding of faith. Knowledge that is rooted in the heart. And he says, knowing this first, not because this is before all other knowledge, but with regard to this particular matter, of the promise of his coming. The keeping of the commandment of the apostles. Must know it this first. Because of the danger. Must be prepared. You and I. We must be prepared for the battle. We have to know the pitfalls. We have to know the temptations. We must understand their real character and we must understand the real character of this scoffing so that we may be equipped to live antithetically here in the world. To live as children of the light in the midst of the darkness of this present time. That knowledge is in the first place in that connection to our comfort. We don't have to be surprised 
we certainly must not be surprised when the scoffers come. Nor should we be dismayed when they come. The Bible tells us that they come. In other words, the coming of the scoffers is a token of evidence of the faithfulness of the promise of his coming. These scoffers, they don't need to do that themselves, of course. But after all, these scoffers only fulfill the scriptures. Here it says, There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. When you see that, beloved, when you see those scoffers, and when you see them walking after their own lusts, then be reminded that they are only fulfilling exactly what the scriptures themselves said would happen. And then certainly have no part with them. Have no part with their scoffing speech. Don't make common cause with them. And don't be moved by their scoffing speech from your hope. Your hope is certain. Their scoffing is a lie. And don't walk after their lusts, but shun them. Because they walk in those lusts. Because they scoff. If we join them in those lusts, we scoff in a practical way. They scoff, beloved. They scoff because they have no Savior that's coming. They walk in their own lusts because they have no Savior who is coming. You and I do. We have a Savior. He's coming. Personally. Visibly. On the clouds of heaven. And we know that. We look at the world round about us. We may be reminded. Of the word of God. For the world passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, thanks for thy word. Thanks for the hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that thou wilt strengthen us in that hope and give us grace to walk according to that hope. Dismiss us with thy benediction. Keep us in the week that lies ahead 
that in it we may serve thee and show forth thy praises. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our concluding psalm is Psalm 11. In the Lord, I in the Lord do put my trust. How is it then that ye say to my soul, flee as a bird unto your mountain high? Psalm 11. upon thee and give thee peace.